Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode. And I hope you still like the new intro music I've chosen. It's just a little bit more of what I'm feeling these days. So, I don't know. Maybe I've got some uh, unspent anger or frustration to work out. And uh, Boy, here we go. Uh, thanks again to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for being... Brothers, brothers and sisters, helping us do what we do. And also to our pals at torontomotorsports.com, the spirit animals of all that we do here in the little podcast. I've named after myself with t-shirts and mugs and I don't know what all else. Uh, We've got a bunch of new stuff. It's almost kind of sort of ready to show you. You might have seen some of it, but uh, yeah, we're going to have lots of good stuff here. And, you know, we just try and help you to have fun wearing the crap that we talk about i guess and then our seriously awesome awesome pals at bell racing helmets usa so those are the four people that make us what we is br and i'm really thankful for them and to you for powering many of my shows the week in indycar listener q a here our weekly guest episode where we are recording tomorrow morning uh, california 1 p.m eastern with Marco Andretti right after he gets out of the gym. He tells me, I said, great, nothing I want more than to interview you when you're nice and sweaty. I'm not sure. And then also our weekend sports cars show that is all listener driven as well. Uh, A few quick things to mention here. One of them, you, if you're a regular listener, you are familiar with. I'm recording this late in the evening. I don't know if I'm going to get through all of the listener Q&A show tonight try and do this Monday nights as much as I can, but actually spent last night recording the week in sports cars with my man Graham Goodwin, who's in Malaysia. And thanks to the time difference, it's morning for him, evening for me, and we got it done. Uh, So here we are at about 8.15 California on a Tuesday night. I have the official co-pilot of the week in IndyCar, that being our cat Rocky, who is sleeping and staring at me because I just mentioned his name and there's no food. So he's wondering why I'm bothering him. Uh, My amazing wife is having dinner and our cat Rosie is accompanying her. And I'm in here talking to you all. Going to probably go for about an hour tonight. Figure it might take another hour to finish the rest of the show tomorrow at some point in time. News? Yeah, we got some news coming. So, again, talking here Tuesday evening, and I guess by the time I post this, you'll know it, but our man, our guest about a month ago, the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe, will be confirmed tomorrow morning at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in a press conference as the driver of the what I know to be the final Andretti Autosport Honda-powered Indy 500 entry completing that lineup, the one that our man, fast effing Fernando, didn't end up filling. Also, have heard there's some rumors on the streets that our pals at Hinch's former House of Employment, that being the officially titled Aero McLaren SP, but what we, on this show, thanks to our friend Jim Johnstone, listener, who coined the acronym SPAM. Our friends at SPAM are said to be readying an announcement on their 
final Indy 500 driver, that being the third driver of one of their Chevy-powered entries. And after hearing it was up and down and maybe yes, maybe no, uh, heard some things today, uh, later today, to suggest that Mr. Alonzo is going to be in a third entry there. So, provided that is all going to happen, if it hasn't already been signed and done and dusted, we would have James Hinchcliffe announced here on Wednesday. I don't know if our pals at Aero McLaren SP would be announcing Fernando on Thursday or Friday or sometime soon, but I'm told that that is imminent and there's no real reason to expect another driver to be named in that. So, provided that's accurate, that would be pretty darn cool. I uh, heard another really interesting thing today that I'm going to try and put into print here shortly. Uh, that a certain Scott McLaughlin, who, quick like a bunny, drove for Roger Penske for the first time in official sessions last week at spring training, then backed it up, went to... Texas Motor Speedway completed his rookie oval test. I've heard from a extremely credible source that Scott McLaughlin, V8 supercars, Australian supercars champion, back-to-back winner of the Bathurst 1000, guy who's going to be doing a single NTT IndyCar Series race for Team Penske in the Team Penske Chevy, as I burp, and I apologize, and I won't edit that out because, as some of you know, I refer to this show as my unpolished turd. At the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Grand Prix, I have heard that, yeah, the rumors of him maybe doing a couple of races here or there, I've heard the number might be as high as eight. Eight! Half a season of IndyCar for young Mr. McLaughlin, that would mean a lot of air miles. That would mean a highly confused body going from tomorrow back to today, uh, whenever he flies from Australia or New Zealand here from the uh, DJR Team Penske Australian Supercars Championship to play IndyCar and then head back. So I think that might place considerable stress on him but i would say that from what i've heard again from a very impeccable source that if as many as eight races are done this year uh that would kind of tell us dear friends that who might be driving for the team next year um it sure would be weird for them to do half a season or so with scotty just to say, well, that was cool. Uh, we'll see you later. Thanks for doing that. That's not what Roger does. They certainly look to the future and building a intelligent plan, developing for the future. If they're going to roll Scotty out for as many as eight races, that tells me while they have him already obligated to defend his Supercars championship, that's the number they feel they can get him to do that works without taking away from the primary goal. But that primary goal has an expiration date. So with the season done, I would say if Scott McLaughlin is not a full-time IndyCar driver next year, I will be shocked. Absolutely shocked. So there you go. That's about all I can share with you up front that comes to mind. 
about news on the IndyCar front before we get into your Q&A. Did have a conversation with someone else today, late today as well. Kind of a fun one. Um, explaining maybe a bit of an alternate story on how the Hinch to Ray Hall thing went from being basically a done deal to not a done deal. Um, I'm going to try and think of a creative way to share that. And I told the person who rang and said, this is not for print. I said, you know, this is a pretty good story to which they said, yeah, uh, it is. Um, it wouldn't be a bad thing if it was known, but, uh, you need to come up with a creative way to do that. So there you go. I still got to think on it, which is the point. I don't really have an answer to how to do that yet, but I will. Before we get rolling with your questions, as we do every week on the Listener Q&A show, we look back to the previous week's questions submitted on Facebook, find the person whose question got the most likes, and then we say, hey, person, send me a direct message with your email address so I can connect you with torontomotorsports.com. So just out of gratitude for having a great question for our show, We'll send you a free t-shirt, a hat, a mug, a something from the MP podcast cadre of nonsense. This happens to be Lance Snyder this time around, who I love me some Lance Snyder. He sends in a lot of fun stuff. It's almost always just straight up fun. And I'll tell you what, if you look outside the world of motor racing, boy, I don't know if we're having as much fun as we should in the world so i appreciate that lance tries to infuse fun in everything that he brings to us his question for last week's guest sebastian borday seb you have a litany of french fry questions as it is so i'm going to ask something different what kind of hamburger is marshall pruitt what is he topped with how is he cooked that got a whole bunch of likes so lance send me that dm with your email address i'll get you connected with our pals at torontosports.com as I slur my words and don't edit that out. And we'll send you some stuff for being a guy that we like, whose question got a great response. And for those of you who don't know, who might be listening for the first time or just wondering in general because you have not submitted questions in the past, each week, usually on a Monday, sometimes it runs to Tuesday, but on Monday, on Twitter, my at Marshall Pruitt handle, I will send out a call for questions. Folks reply to that call for questions and submit them. And I do the same on Facebook, on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. Usually some sort of thing that says, hey, this is our guest. If you got questions for he or she or me or I or they or whom, send them in. So, And then we, because we really try and keep this as streamlined as possible, Look to those responses in those lines. It's just straight down the page to the question, call for questions on Twitter and then on Facebook. And then my man Tim Falkowitz does an awesome job of cutting and pasting and sorting and presenting them. And we always have fine folks who say, yeah, I know you say all that, but I'm just not. And so how about an email? How about something on your instagram direct message or whatever so uh, again i do my best to herd folks down to the methods at work plus we also have the great great community with the indycar reddit group where questions get fielded and we put them all together we do the show and facebook though is the one and only place where we look to see who gets the most likes 
on their question to choose who gets the free stuff. So Lance Snyder, that's you. Send me the goodies. Now it's time to roll in a little bit of uh, theme music here, the music bed, to get going here with your questions. We'll see how far we can get before I need to go and be a husband instead of an idiot talking into a microphone. All right. We're going to go with our man who's like Lance, just another steady presence on the show. Spirit animal of some sort? Uh, Spirit vegetable. That's who he is. Ryan Terpstra. Of course, we've got to start off with the Week in IndyCar listener Q&As. Spirit vegetable. Ryan Terpstra. Maybe you're a fruit. Maybe you're a vegetable. Maybe you're starch. I don't know. Uh, You might need a little bit of help on that one, Ryan. says, not a question, just a comment. says, I think my comment card for the Indy 500 read verbatim the timing information on the video boards are four or five laps stale <clears throat> by the time it cycles through. It says the new upgrades announced to IMS last Friday are welcome, and I can't believe it will all be implemented so soon. Great point, Ryan. I got to tell y'all, somewhat surprised at the overwhelmingly positive response to everything that Roger Penske and Doug Bowles, Bud Denker, uh, Greg Penske, you know, all the, all the folks announced last week, whether it was the purse, the prize money increase to just the facility upgrades, better food, better bathrooms, you name it, video boards, timing and scoring and so on. I, I might've thought it was a little bit light. I might've thought it was a little lacking in punch and yet. I tell you, I have since learned, almost immediately learned, like, no, idiot, your radar is off. I mean, seriously, I'm amazed at how many people have just said, this is this is fantastic. All the various things you're doing are just great. So, yeah, uh, pretty awesome. We'll mention that Bud Denker, who I'd be lying if I said I remembered his exact title, I just refer to him as one of Roger's longtime generals who gets a lot of stuff done. Uh, runs, looks at, looks after and runs the Detroit Grand Prix, among many other things. Um, how's this? You know how Tim Sindrick on the straight-up racing side is Roger's general who really gets stuff done and executes at a ridiculously high level and look at all the success they have? Well, that's Bud Denker, but kind of on the executive level. Uh, known Bud for a while. Love me some Bud Denker. We spent 40 minutes, 45 minutes on the phone here. I think Monday, capturing a long phone call about a lot of things that will go into a number of stories. Uh, coming up here shortly on Racer.com. <clears throat> I think we did that at about, what, 9 a.m. maybe, Monday morning, while he was in Daytona waiting for the Daytona 500 to resume. Ooh, we're going to talk about that in a, mo- in a little bit as well. Um, actually, we started off the conversation talking about Aston Martin and their hypercar sports car program going sideways. But nonetheless, great conversation with Bud that I want to mention here, y'all, and to you, Ryan, because there's a lot of other cool little kernels that he 
shared with me that'll go into stories. And also we drilled down into a lot of things, thought processes, approaches, uh, how's things going on this? What do you think about that? Uh, TV contracts, engines and partners and just separating church and state. Uh, how do you do this? So anyways, I hope you'll find some of it interesting. It's a lot of stuff to transcribe. So uh, we'll be getting some of those little stories broken out here for you shortly. Uh, let's go to Don Davis. Hi, Don. He says, why did IndyCar air spring training live as an unlisted YouTube stream? I couldn't find the live link on the IndyCar website, and it wasn't shown at the YouTube subscriber list. I would think that the stream should have been available at all, uh, shouldn't have been available at all of IndyCar's social media. Kurt Cavan, thumbs down. Um, hmm. So I had to watch all of it by live stream as well, Don, since I was not there. I, I'm not totally grasping everything here because I know that I wrote a story based on the media alert that IndyCar sent out saying this is when spring training is. It's going to be live streamed and it will be available at these places. So I wrote a story and I believe it had links to that and it believe it also basically said just straight up indycar.com. And I know for me, hashtag me personally, I went there Tuesday and closed you know, those tabs on my browser afterwards. Came back Wednesday and went to indycar.com and it was sitting right in front of me and was really easy to access. So these weren't bookmarks that I had. Uh, I just truly, genuinely followed the instructions that I wrote in the story that I put up that was made available by IndyCar. Um, and I know some others did too. So I'm not totally clear on this, Don. Uh, I would just tell you that at least by following the instructions that went into the story that went up on Racer, there was no confusion and there were no issues whatsoever finding the video live stream. Uh, as for the Kirk Kevin thumbs down, uh, I don't know how Kurt had anything to do with that since he is just in charge of editorial content for the website, but you know, maybe he deserves a thumbs down and I don't know the reason for it, but maybe you do. So I'll just ride with you on this one, Don. Mike DiCardo, MP, how concerned should we be for Hinch in the 500 as no announcement has yet been made? How close was he going to going to RLL? And did Fernando's situation cause this delay for the mayor? So we already covered this off a little bit, Mike. You sent this in before the alert came out. So, uh, again, uh, maybe they saw your question <laughs> on the good old... Twitters on the good old tweeters and said, well, you know what, Mike, Mike, Mike is concerned. So we're going to have to allay those fears. And here we have the announcement tomorrow. How close was it going to RLL? Which is why I wanted to keep this one in here. As I understand it, uh, yeah, there was supposed to be an announcement and then there wasn't. And I, this is the part where I said, I'm not sure how to put all this yet. And so I don't, and I don't know if I can or will, but let's just say that when this announcement happens, 
there might be one team in the paddock that isn't exactly feeling the warm and fuzzies towards how this went down. And, you know, I try and preface things or, or provide the caveat that many times when you hear that this thing happened and this guy did something bad or this improper thing took place, it rarely happens when I'm there in the room. So I have to take people's words for it. And I also have to judge who's telling me. And I know that sometimes, sometimes not often, but sometimes it's from a joker. Uh, more often than not, it's from people that are real. Cause I try not to engage too much with the jokers, but yeah, I mean, I'll come back to this Mike, which I seem to be saying more and more. Did everything go down correctly and properly so that everyone feels right about what was agreed to at RLL and then did not happen? No, I'd say there's certainly some little bit of bumpiness right there. Will wealthy people who range from multimillionaires to those with hundreds of thousands of dollars of income per year who get to live lives as pretty amazing athletes, will any of this really be remembered uh, a year from now or 10 years from now or affect anyone's life? No. Grumpy and bumpy short term but you know no one's going hungry tonight my man uh as for the fernando situation causing a delay i think it's kind of the opposite uh, i think things you know were it sounds like things were pretty much buttoned down to happen at rll i can't tell you why they didn't but i can tell you i think the situation that happened with Fernando at Andretti certainly opened a door that was believed to be closed that might have been pretty attractive to see if you could open that sucker up all the way and go through. So I don't know if I'd say the Alonso situation caused the delay. I'd say it opened something that might have been an enticement to see if you could make happen. So I guess technically that would be a delay, but I don't think of it that way. I think of it as, oh, well, uh, who cares about when it gets announced? If this is an option, then I need to go check that out because uh, Andretti win Indy 500 is good. Mike Jablo says, MP, do you know if IndyCar is having an April test day at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? And if so, the date. Says, also would love to see you get Donald Davidson on your podcast as previously suggested. Thanks. I do, Mike. And so what I'm going to do, instead of leaving a lot of dead air here, I'm going to try and find, I think it's the PDF that I have of the uh, testing schedule. And boy, this is sad. See if I can find it. And then I'm going to edit the as much of this dead air out as possible and come back with an answer in just a moment. That would be the 30th of April, Mike. Sorry, I'm an idiot. I should I should remember I remember things, but as I sometimes tell my beloved lady, I forgot to remember. Uh, that would be April thirtieth, brother. So there we go. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, you also asked Donald Davidson or mentioned Donald Davidson. I totally agree. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy me some Donald Davidson. I have spoken enough with him over the years to 
kind of get the lanes that he operates in and those that he does not. So I think that could be a fun conversation. What I've been thinking of, there's a question here towards the end that might I might save some of this answer for, but while we have been dealing with what we have been at home, knowing that this has been the number one priority, it has limited, if not more or less, uh, removed the possibility for me to sit down and do the podcast that I love most. And that's the long form, my racing life and career. So I love sitting with good folks like Donald and getting a bunch of great stories. Who doesn't? It seems like podcasts in general today, not just racing, but everything is just turned into maximum storytelling. Tell me a story, a a big one that's going to hit and make people laugh or remember, you know, just story, 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 story. I love that part as well. Don't get me wrong. But I actually really like the part most where I and we burrow into the person. And I don't always do a great job of making that happen in the My Racing Life and Career episodes. But I want to do a much better job and see if I can just come away from more of them feeling like I have achieved what I have in my mind uh, for those interviews and for those series that you know could be an hour, two hours, who knows. Really get to know the person. Hopefully hear some fun and funny and interesting stories, uh, favorite memories, achievements, and so on. But come away going, yeah, did you hear that story about this? That's amazing. Got to share that right away. But also, next time I hear this person speak or see them or whatever... I actually know a lot more about how they tick. That's the thing that fascinates me more as I get older. So Donald is certainly on that list of those who I think I know uh, enough about, a little bit about something, but I cannot pretend to say that, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I know who he is. I know what he's about. That's the stuff that I want to find out. So, and the list is growing. So as I'm able to... I really do want to, frankly, start doing a lot more of those. And I know that I can do these over the phone. But i got to admit, if it's not, well, granted, it's a little weird to get on the phone and FaceTime someone for an hour and a half for an interview or whatever. But there is the thing of sitting in front of someone, across from someone, looking at mannerisms, reading body language, and just, it's that, one primate talking to another primate primate and cueing off of one another thing that really is important when we're when I want to try and do those things. So, uh yeah, 100% on Donald Davidson and I look forward to being able to do that sometime soon. Going to dive into a number of questions here related to one Scott McLaughlin uh, Zachary Burcham sent something in our man, Jordan Darwin, Bryson Frank as well. And who knows? I might've missed somebody else, but let me get through, uh, some Scotty items here. It says, uh, from Zachary says, is there anything we can read into Penske giving McLaughlin the full rookie testing treatment, including, uh, the rookie oval test, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 
I would just say, yeah, read into it. They would absolutely not do that if they were not trying to both find out if he has the aptitude for it. But if he did well and passed, if that would then be, you know, one of the things to unlock him doing more uh, racing, actual racing to learn, if not also test as well. Um, yeah. So again, back to our, our core tenant with Penske. They do nothing without intent. Jordan says, uh, taking from what you said about Scott's test at Sebring, um, then it panning out into an IndyCar uh, Indy GP ride, it seems like we might be seeing the Kiwi turning left uh, all race long soon enough. Uh, do you think anything's brewing for this year? So cover that just a little bit. He says, do you think we might just be feeling, the team and the driver might be feeling each other off for 2021? Uh, he says, I did some hopefully helpful research. He says, uh, supercars do race during Texas, Richmond, and Iowa, but there are no 2020 conflicts with the Indy 500 or Gateway. Oh, by the way, he says there's no DPI race in either of those weekends either. So the Acura Team Penske crew could wear bow ties for those weekends. Uh, he says, given Penske's previous statements that they will not run a fifth car at the 500, should we expect to see an announcement that the number two will be at Gateway with our favorite V8-dominating Kiwi? Yet again, and this is not blowing smoke. I love you guys. Uh, <laughs> you admittedly, Jordan, just saved me a fair amount of work. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of meritorious stuff you have mentioned here. Um, little sidebar thing, again, it's meaningless. I just try and share stuff with you guys because there's a, a lot of things that happen on a daily basis, uh, either in my mind or things that get cooking. Uh, so I had a great interview with Scott last week. I think just before we did the oval test, but spent, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes on the phone with him and got some great download stuff from spring training. And it really just stood out to me that, boy, this would make for a really interesting article, feature-ish type article in uh, an upcoming issue of Road and Track uh, about talent and how talent transfers, like real talent can transfer. The guy has almost no oval experience at all. I'm sorry, not oval, open wheel, like truly <laughs> just virtually zero. And yet he's able to adapt to an Indy car and show this incredible pace. How remarkable is that? That really does stand out in motor racing. So just pitch that and say, yeah, it sounds interesting. Why don't you put that together? We'll see how it looks. So I'm uh, going to talk with a couple of folks here. In the coming days, uh, to go with that story, Dario Franchitti being one of them, but just trying to get a little bit of extra input on that about Scott, because yeah, I do think we're going to see him regularly, and it will be a very non-traditional path to IndyCar. Uh, Bryson says, let's see, this Kiwi is beginning to look like a future IndyCar star. Says, my question, how did the oval test come about? Was it part of RPE's plan from before the Sebring test, or was this oval test arranged after Scott's impressive showings at uh, his first two tests? Um, well, another little quick note here. Uh, getting the car ready for the oval, you know, that's not a super easy thing. You know, that take that involves a fair amount of work. I don't know if that was his same Kota chassis or if that was a separate oval chassis. I seem to recall it might. I actually, how's this? I don't remember. I can't tell you. I do know that they listed when Texas sent out the alert 
might have been Monday, the day before spring training or something, that, hey, there's going to be an oval test here at the end of the week. The Penske slot was a TBD. It was not defined. So I got to believe that that was part of the plan all along. When I, let's see, when I spoke with, let me see. I'm, I apologize here because my brain is farting more than usual. Oh, that's what it was. Um, I spoke with McLaughlin. Whenever it was that I spoke with him, he had to push back the interview because he was uh, got a call and was needing to spend time on the phone with Rick Mears to prepare for the upcoming Oval Test. And I'll just tell you this. I can't, I don't know if and when they knew exactly that he was going to be testing on the Oval for them, but it sure looks like it wasn't just a last-minute thing, and you don't spend that amount of time on the phone with Rick Mears if you are not really being groomed to do well and succeed right away. So... TBD was what was announced. That's what caught my eye. Oh, okay. So these teams are going to be there. This, with such drivers, this team's going to be there, but uh, they're not saying who. Well, that's strange. Um, so that's what clued me into that being a reality. So who knows, man? They probably knew in advance, but yeah, I love the approach here. Absolutely love the approach. Let's go to a topic from Andy Bauer. I'm going to do my best here uh, to be as polite a human being as I can, but also as honest as possible. The topic that might be a little bit of a tough one uh, as this season gets going. This is Marshall circling back on Dalton Kellett from AJ Foyt Racing. Nobody doubts how great a young man he is. He's a very patient, engaging guy when he gave my daughter's third grade class a tour of the Andretti Autosport shop. He says, and I followed him during his time on the road to Indy and always cheered for him. While I share concerns about his ability to be quick enough in IndyCar, what are your thoughts about his ability to surprise at the Indy 500 or other ovals? Says the Freedom 100 was always his best race every year, with a pole position and a couple of podiums. He says, is there an ability here to surprise, or is the underpowered nature of the lights cars of the Speedway flattering to deceive? He also adds, kindly, I can Yeah. Boy, brain, mouth, not work, good. I continue to pray for you and your wife. Thank you so much, Andy. For real, man. That That's that's really sweet. I think there's another question in here, too, about Dalton. Uh, and maybe we'll, we'll get to it before we're done tonight, or who knows, maybe my brain's, again, playing tricks on me. Oh, man. Oh, uh, there's this interesting thing at the Speedway with the Freedom 100 that we have encountered in the Delara IL-15 era with the turbocharged Mazda slash AER motor. We've seen situations where sometimes there have been motors that have been a little hotter than others. Uh, I know that when Mateus laced one in 2017, I believe, with Carlin, uh... The team was pretty straightforward in saying, yeah, we're not totally shocked. Um, I mean, we're just killing people in a straight line. And trust me, we've done nothing to the car 
but would be different or special. You know, we haven't gone to some insane low downforce option, and that's why we've picked up extra speed. Um, just point being, you know, in a car that doesn't have crazy power, that is not necessarily always as crazy developed as an Indy car around the speedway. Not saying you don't need a lot of talent to do well, but I'd say it might be a little bit easier for one car to stand out over another uh, or the cars from one team that might be better than the rest to offer an advantage for that driver. We do know the last couple of years uh, when he was with, what, Andretti Autosport? Yeah, that team's pretty darn good. Uh, Boy, those cars are good. So... I would say if we look at the ovals, we know that in a good car for the 500, Andy, we have seen drivers exceed expectations for sure. Good driver, not a great driver, in a very good car can be a real bear, just really hard to deal with. Would say that if the A.J. Foyt team is on their game, I would expect Dalton to be able to make the field. It's a place where bravery is required. Qualifying in particular, you got to, you know, got to nut up for sure. So that's not something you can overlook. But if the car is good, I would see Dalton being able to make it into the field. It's more a case of, boy, mid-Ohio, right? There are some corners there that are daunting, but it's a very technical track. You've got to be really good to ace mid-Ohio. If we talk about where else, I mean, you can look at some of the street courses and still to excel there, you've got to be sharp. You know, we're going to expose things that are just real and that's not being critical of dalton or any of those who've come before him who are not destined to be indycar race winners or champions i'm not destined to be either most of you are not uh again 99.999 to infinity percent of the world is not destined to win indycar races or the indy 500 or a championship this is reserved for special people really you can't i can't think back to anybody where you go that guy really uh more or less in my lifetime um it's okay if the guy if the kid loves racing, loves IndyCar, has the ability to do it, to live his dream, the thing he's been training to do for, what, seven years in a row on the road to Indy, and he can be there and do it, that's pretty amazing. Do we confuse a kid like Dalton, who, as you mentioned, is a sweetheart? Like, seriously, I I got all the time in the world for the kid. I cheer for him every time he's in a race car doesn't mean we're talking about someone who's destined to reap all the rewards that the sport offers. That just means he's more like us than them. 
but he's more like them than us because he can do that at a level that at least qualifies and can be there on the grid. Just he's a little bit less of, you know, a mercurial talent. That's okay. Um, I just hope he can be there, enjoy himself, not hamper others. That's going to be the big thing, Andy. That's going to be the big thing. If he is getting in the way, if he is screwing people's qualifying runs and, you know, a variety of things that it will lead to those drivers coming straight back to the pits, finding uh, a reporter and a TV camera or a microphone or whatever, and just laying waste to the kid. Um, yeah, that's the thing that I hope does not happen really and truly hope that is not the thing that happens. Cause that's going to be hard to deal with. Once you get a group of people piling on, which is, kind of the nature of, of how things like this happen. And you start to get people maybe saying you don't belong here. You don't belong here. Uh, that that's kind of hard to overcome. So I just hope for his sake, he isn't getting in the way. He isn't making it life hard for the leaders or anyone, frankly, trying to get past him because I think that's where IndyCar starts having to look at, uh, the situation as a problem. So truly hope we never get to that point. Uh, where are we going to go next? Tim Hubble. Hey, Tim. He says, MP, I haven't heard much on the new car front yet, but I'm always curious about the design and development process since IndyCar is a single chassis series and a relative performance uh, and relative performance should be a bigger concern than outright performance. Does or will Delar and IndyCar, etc., spend any significant time evaluating a trailing car's aerodynamics in tandem in a wind tunnel during testing for the new car. Well, I don't know, Tim, because they haven't started designing it, much less coming up with the criteria for it. Would say I would expect lots of CFD via computerized version of wind tunnel testing. As for in a real wind tunnel, full-scale cars or actual, you know, some sort of smaller scale, I think so. Again, we don't know because they haven't said what they're doing, when they're going to do it, how, but this does jump out as a big area where they know, aha, we need to get the math right on this. We need to get the science right on this because this ends up being the thing that kind of sort of kills our oval racing when we get it wrong. So no answer yet, but common sense tells me based on all they've learned and recognized in the last couple of years with the universal arrow kit that debuted, Tim in 2018, they really are locked into the trailing, the wake coming off the cars, drag, everything, how one car affects the car behind it and how that can either amplify or ruin the quality racing. Mark Summer says, MP on the subject of a third engine manufacturer with the automotive industry ensure the future of the internal combustion engine as a prime mover. Has IndyCar ever looked into other quote, engine-centric industries as potential partners. I work in the field of large displacement, stationary industrial engines that are used for power generation and gas compression. That sounds fascinating, Mark. It also sounds deafening, too. Uh, These beastly machines are straightforward, turbocharged ICEs, internal combustion engines, 
and always will be. He says, I'm wondering if IndyCar should explore Caterpillar, uh, Waukesha, Cummins, Mann, Bortzilla, Genbacher, MTU, etc. Paying to brand an engine made by, say, Cosworth or another specialist engine builder. He says, with most engine sponsorship programs now being business-to-business rather than consumer-focused, this idea just might work. What do you think? He also says, best wishes to you and your wife, Chabrell. Thank you, man. All for it, 100%. Uh, I think I've echoed this sentiment before in the podcast once or maybe even 10 times. We want all the auto manufacturers we can get. That's great. But I want all the major brands and industries to get involved. And if there is something that some of these, as you mentioned, more kind of prime mover, big, uh, non-road vehicle manufacturers, yet heavy equipment or, you know, power industry related manufacturers of propulsion systems, I mean, I just got to believe, hey, we should. Uh, How's this? When manufacturer aero kits were being presented as a thing that IndyCar wanted to do. It fell along the same line of thinking, Mark. You know, Boeing, uh, boy, wouldn't that, that'd be great to get them involved, have Boeing do an aero kit, right? And they could work with an engine manufacturer. And so the engine manufacturer would show the, the strength of their motor and the fuel efficiency and all these things. And then some of these companies that maybe do Aviation or specialist aerodynamics of some sort, hydronamics, who knows, uh, could get involved and they could do aero kits just coming out of a little bit of left field. That was part of the concept of how aero kits could actually welcome in some non-traditional industries to IndyCar. I love this line of thinking. I would hope that this would indeed be embraced somehow. And whether it is that, as you mentioned, the internal combustion engine side from a cat or a Cummins or whomever, or is there something else? Again, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that these are big, smart companies with a lot of technology. Um, that, I think, would be pretty darn, pretty darn smart for them to embrace. All right, we're going to go to Leo White as I start to wind down for the evening here. Leo says, who would be your all-time starting front row for an Indy 500? (laughs) Thanks, Leo. I would say the Rocket himself, Rick Mears. I would say one of my heroes, just because I could meet him and see him drive, that being Jimmy Murphy. Who would I want to see? Well, I guess one of my other heroes. This might be easy, I guess. Uh, That would be... Well, how's this? I'd go with my hero, Dan Gurney, because I was too young when he retired from driving uh, to have ever seen him compete at the Indy 500. Uh, But if I had to throw someone maybe not expected into the mix, I'd go with Jimmy Murphy for sure. I would go with Rick Mears, and then I would go with Joey Ray. If I could be the guy that actually got Joey into the Indy 500. If I could be the guy who just somehow from a question here was able to change time 
and make that happen. I'd be the happiest person in the world, even if no one ever knew it. Uh, yeah, uh, Joey Ray for sure. Uh, let's see, where are we going to go next? Let's go to Derek Bartoshek. says, Marshall, do you know IndyCar has chosen to go for smaller, less grippy tires? Uh, not exactly sure what you're referring to, Derek. He says, is there a reason why they would want to limit mechanical grip? Bigger, grippier tires would surely improve lap times. Um, again, you, when you mentioned chosen to go for smaller, less grippy tires, and I could be wrong, but it implies that at some point in time, a decision was made maybe recently to do this, which I am unaware of that being a fact. Uh, the tire size, to my recollection from what I've seen for decades, it's about the same. So, uh, I don't, I mean, maybe this is meant to be like from what the mid to late sixties. Um, I'm not totally sure. Um, you also asked, do you know if any car planes go to a larger rim size, lower profile tire, like other series don't know that would say it might be a consideration when the next chassis is commissioned and developed but yeah um not i'll admit derek i don't really grasp the question because uh, the tire sizes we we have right now not saying that there hasn't been any modest change diameter or width wise but yeah uh, if you were to take one of today's tires and put it next to a 1979 whatever i bet you wouldn't see a whole lot of difference uh gary chin says mp you've made it clear that your show is listener based and each week you give out a prize for the most favorited or liked question of the week have you thought about a listener's championship (laughs) ah i love this gary whoever has the most quote best question of the week's Wins a grand prize into the, the year. Something like a white Bell mini helmet supplied by Toronto Motorsports, signed by a Bell helmet driver with a Cooper tire visor strip. He says, hashtag me personally. That would be cool. That's a great idea, Gary. Uh, but with all great ideas, um, there might be a little bit of a hitch in this. Uh, so first of all, that would require me documenting each week who's gotten the question of the week. And then throughout the year, add to that and keep track and see who might be the winner um now that in theory should be really easy for me to do and if i was better at my job gare i think i could i just gotta be honest with y'all i don't know that i'm gonna be able to pull that one off consistently uh yeah i would say though it is not only an awesome idea but if someone wanted to volunteer, say starting today, is that fair? I wouldn't want someone to have to go back through, you know, whatever, six episodes this year, whatever. But I don't know. If you all are up for it, starting with this episode with Lance Snyder, um, if someone wants to start keeping track of this, a little spreadsheet, a little Google Doc, something or other, and, you know, see who puts up the most wins. I'd be all for it. Uh, I would tell you that I don't think Toronto Motorsports has to supply the Bell Mini Helmet. I think our pals at Bell Racing Helmets would supply that. And who knows? We might even be able to go beyond a Mini Helmet. Uh, We'd probably be able to get a proper helmet and get 
quite a few of the uh, Bell athletes to sign that. So I love the idea. Only thing I would say we need to make it happen is for someone to respond, to raise their hand, drop me a note, send me a DM or whatever saying, yeah, I'll be the, uh, the person who starts keeping track of who wins on a weekly basis, starting with our man Lance Snyder this week. And then as we get towards the end of the year, we can figure that out. So if we're in agreement, we'll do this. Once I get someone who volunteers to help with that list, we get to the end of the year and the person putting that list together magically has 27 wins. You know, we might have to ask some questions, but love, love the idea here, Gary. All right. Going to get to just a couple more and then uh, it's dinner time. How about we rock and roll with Darren Dubois? Just to outsiders, someone like Rafa Matos, who dominated the Indy Lights level, should have performed quite well in IndyCar. However, it did not translate to IndyCar. What are insiders able to see or evaluate about a driver like this that fans do not? Hmm. So Rafa, no doubt, stupidly talented guy. Say a couple of things conspired against him, Darren. First of all, it would be on the team side. Uh, off the top of my increasingly balding head, I'm not recalling all of the team names that he was with. I know that he was a DeFerrin Dragon guy. Uh, he was with a couple of teams that, again, uh, I'm f- they're in my head, but they're not in my head. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a winner right there. Good, but not necessarily great. Also do not recall a lot of consistency or frankly, just a ton of races for, uh, for Rafa to be able to do in IndyCar. So around for a while, certainly someone who I really rated highly and thought that he was going to have a longish, longerish career in IndyCar didn't quite fully pan out that way though, sadly. Um, I mean, there's a, the, the Luso dragon team and then what the DeFerrin dragon, I think was it. And then he had a handful with, uh, what Gary Peterson's team AFS. So, you know, he had what, two and a half ish seasons, uh, did well with the Jay Penske's dragon outfit, right? I mean, he did well, but we weren't talking about a big knockdown, you know, beat everybody up type team. When you have that, it can certainly stifle a driver's development a little bit. So, you know, I, I do think that as, as I'm trying to remember a little bit more, he did have some pretty solid drives during those two full seasons, you know, knocked down a couple of fences too. Uh, not total surprise for a rookie or a guy early in his career, but he definitely demonstrated enough talent to warrant a look by some bigger teams. The thing that I've heard, and I can't claim it's totally accurate, but I've heard, you know, uh, he might not have approached his opportunities in the best mindset. Uh, Everything from being kind of hard to work with, just, in the general sphere of not really 
in a headspace that was conducive to long-term growth and relationships in the sport and got really angry that things weren't developing the way that he wanted and it only caused things to spiral downwards a bit. If he could go back in time uh, and do some things over, I don't know how much he would change behind the wheel because I don't think that there was a lot to change. But I just think that you know sometimes, man, if your head's not in the right space, you can talk yourself out of a career for sure. Go to our man, Philip Schmitz. Let's look at this from a certain point of status. Um, what do we have from the movie Driven? That's good. He says, using the uh, Ed Harris Apollo 13 voice. You know what we have? There's one very simple thing, Philip. We have entertainment. Keep in mind, entertainment doesn't have to be great. You know, Entertainment doesn't have to be quality. It can just be entertaining. Good Lord, how much time do we spend on our phones each day watching silly, stupid earmuffs? Just shit. Just Eh, what is you don't remember any of it right it's all disposable uh little memes and videos that are 30 seconds long of something or other and you know i mean we fill our days with filler and don't remember any of it uh driven is the cinematic version of that with motor racing about indie cars with horrific acting some of the worst animation ever a plot that continues to not be a plot just random garbage uh it it is just a catastrophe that i can't i just it never stops delivering right anchorman right that movie is brilliant for all the right reasons It, it just it never stops being funny driven is the same thing except for it wasn't a comedy and that's why I love it. So, yeah, uh, that's what's good. And so anybody, you know, I got to admit to here, Philip, when first however many years after seeing it, like many, it just it just hate all you could say was, oh, my God, they killed us. You did that to us. We're never going to recover. No one's ever going to make an IndyCar movie again, which I think might still be accurate. Um <sighs> But as time's gone on, I've been able to appreciate the unintended comedy that is driven. So I hope others can, too. Uh, I really do hope that others can as well. Uh, Let's go to our pal Alexi Hrushko. He says, what went wrong with Nazareth Nazareth Speedway? He says, it provided great racing. It was a unique oval with elevation change, and now the place is abandoned. How unrealistic is it to revive it? I think, I think it's, you know, the proverbial housing complex now, uh, Alexi. So yeah, I think I know that I saw something about it on the good old book face months ago, a year ago, something, and it was depressing. What? Uh, I believe the thing that went wrong is it was, you know, a Roger Penske property and then he sold all that stuff and then yeah uh it stopped being viable and went away and so yeah it was the uh, a beautiful little plant that stopped being watered auto kinzel auto you always send in fun stuff truly man thank you says i was watching an interview with scott harrington from qualifying for the 1996 indy 500 
should also mention here that I worked with Scott Harrington for one day as an assistant engineer during his ROP at the 2000 Indy 500. And if you've ever heard me tell the tale of watching Juan Montoya turn his first laps at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, well, that's because I was there with uh, Scott Harrington. And I don't remember the name of the team, but it was led by my pal, Larry Nash. Um, so there you go. Uh, Scott Harrington mentioned having to sell his Porsche, maxing out all his credit cards, and being evicted from his apartment in order to finance his ride. Do you know of other stories about people who went to similar financial extremes and had things not work out? It says, I recall Tyler Tadovic mortgaging his house to keep the Pacific Coast team alive in 2008 and losing his home as a result. Uh, I'd love to know about people who lost things and how they recovered. Tyler Tadovic, also a name. Um, I was the race engineer at Hilton Motorsports with Hoover Orsi and Kuno Whitmer in 2000. I was doing that as well as working in the Earl. And Tyler was, I don't, kind of a general gopher helper guy. And I can't say this with authority, but having grown up with stepbrothers who were frequent consumers of drugs, both recreational and hard, uh, Tyler, at least through actions and behavior struck me as someone who was massively massively under uh in a massively altered state massively uh talking very quickly and bouncing over the place and just like yeah the hey hey hello guy hey hey hi hi hey hey hello hi like just wow and so i had some pretty harsh words for him and said you know man guys like you do not succeed in this sport and I think I said it to him partially out of frustration. This was at the Homestead season opener where our Atlantic cars were on the undercard with cart. I think part of it was frustration, kind of a go away. You really bother me. And I want to say something mean. So you stop bothering me. I'd like to believe I also said part of that is kind of a wake up call, but that might be uh, misremembering or trying to add something, uh, I don't know, uh, heartfelt and, and really kind to something that maybe wasn't. It's been 20 years, Otto, so I don't really remember my intent, but I know I said some kind of nasty things to him. And it did work. He more or less shut up and left me alone, and this very distracting person buzzing around everything stopped buzzing he then i think again i'm assuming the altered state but i know that years later with the, the pacific coast team that you mentioned he got things straightened out a lot of good things happened and i when i moved into the media side called him for something um and mentioned how that conversation that that just seemingly throwaway, dismissive, nasty stuff that I said to him at Homestead in 2000 stuck, never left. And instead of it being the, the proverbial wake-up call to him, uh, he said that me being an true asshole, and I, I mean, I can't say that I was, it was anything other than that, me being such an asshole, um, inspired him and motivated him to prove me wrong 
and I didn't know it uh, for the year, you know, however many years later. But when he told me that, it just further reinforced how much of an asshole that I was in that 30-second interaction that it really stuck with him for years. But it made me so happy to know that, frankly, if I was the complete a-hole who said those things that pissed him off enough to make him say, you know what, uh, guys like me can succeed in the sport, um, that made me super proud. And not proud because I had anything to do with it. He did all the work. So this, again, none of this comes back on me for anything. He did everything. I just didn't, wouldn't have known at the time that me being a complete dick uh, would actually cause a guy to say, all right, I'm going to prove you wrong, asshole. And he did. So uh, I, I like that. That's the way those things are supposed to happen. I've had that happen with people as well. Maybe you all have too, where someone said something, doubted you, or called you out your name or something, and you said, cool. <laughs> my mission is now to murder you with my success. Uh, so we did. But, yeah, then things went bad with the Pacific Coast team. Um, trying to think of those who've gone that far and lost a lot. I mean, I'm sure that there are some, you know, famous story or famous instances of this that come to mind. Auto, I do know uh, what I do know of some folks that have gotten over on others that have really sent them into jeopardy and caused their team to almost crumble. Um, some things done by John, the late John Della Pena. Um, had a couple, not many, but a couple folks say, "Hey." When uh, when John passed, you know, you haven't didn't see you write anything about that. You haven't really commented on that. And uh, yeah, myself and another friend who works in IndyCar, uh, we shared some texts when John passed. And never celebrate when someone passes, but I we did share a common refrain that not really mourning. I feel bad for his family, right? You always feel bad for the family, but knowing some of the things the guy did that really almost destroyed someone else's, you know, racing dreams and ambitions and sent them into a big spiral that it took years to recover from, maybe similar to this. Um, We weren't exactly broken up about it. Uh, Reading the nostalgia that many others had for John just, you know, at least for me and my friend resonated like, well, that's cool. You had totally different memories of the guy. Um, just we've seen the other side and that maybe is pretty unfortunate. Um, trying to think what else, uh, well here, I mean, <laughs> here's one. Um, and I'm going to take this and then Mike Markham, you're going to be my last question for tonight. I know a guy who had to borrow money from a friend to pay rent in December uh, about 12 years ago, 12 years ago, 11, I'm not, yeah, something like that. Maybe 2007, 2008. Um, So this guy named Marshall Pruitt, uh, he was running his own little team and trying to see if he could make that happen. Uh, 
And so he overextended himself, put a lot of his own money into things to run a team and a little endurance racing team, little factory endurance team in partnership with Scion, a former division of Toyota. And so that was going really well. But to make this little endurance team function for big, long endurance races required paying drivers. And not all paying, not everybody, but the majority of folks paid. And so it was from the income generated from the drivers where paying all the bills to prepare the car, put it on track, bring dozens of tires, burn through hundreds of gallons of fuel, hotels, again, all the things that go with motor racing. Uh, Having to pay for all of these things, well, uh, this is 2007, uh, my first year with the little Scion factory team. People paying was the thing that made everything good, made everything right, having extended myself as far as I thought I could, knowing that, all right, this is coming back. And so this race, early December, um, auto boy, I was having to sell a lot of things uh, just to get through the rest of the month. And then when it came time to pay rent, uh, January 1st, had to go and borrow money from a friend. And while that might not sound like much, man, there are a few things on the planet Earth I hate more than owing someone money or almost anything. I just I don't like being in that position. I don't like what it does to relationships. I just don't want to be in that place. Uh, so that was really tough. Just more, you know, again, uh, meaningless personal hurdle, but not one nonetheless to cover. And the reason that this happened is because one of the drivers who years later uh, decided to make good on things, uh, frankly, bullshitted me and freeloaded his way into the car. Someone that I knew, someone that was a friend, not saying like a really super close acquaintance, but uh, he scammed me and told me, yep, brought a check all good you bet um had some troubles in the race and then tried to use that against me to not pay and that's when i knew yeah so this pro-am semi-pro ish type environment it's a little different than the full pro deal where you say great you're gonna pay half up front I should have just followed that model and been stricter instead of working with friends, having some friends in the car and keeping it kind of buddy, buddy. So I can just tell you that it was a brutal, brutal couple of months and his failure to pay, uh, turned our finances completely upside down. And my lady, I don't believe was working at the time. This was kind of the primary thing I was doing while trying to do a little bit of reporting as well. Early in my reporting career, I was earning almost nothing, which is fine. It's kind of paying my dues. But I'll just mention that, yeah, uh, the spending everything you have, stretching yourself to do this thing that you love. Yeah, I mean, it, it hits many of us. Common sense, probably not. I chose to extend ourselves, right? Was 
wasn't this driver's fault. He didn't pay. Uh, but I let that happen. I wasn't harsh enough and demanding everything up front. So that's certainly on me. Um, but this was real. Like all of a sudden, you know, this guy went to get into his car, a Corvette nonetheless, and leave. And I remember chasing him out like, hey, 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 everyone else is, you know, settled up. Race is over. Everyone else is settled up. Oh, man. No joke. I left my checkbook at home. And I'm going, you son of a bitch. I, I know exact. I mean, this whole thing is playing out in front of me. Um, cause I asked him before the race, I oh, know no, I'll go get you, you know, I'm just trying to get focused on, you know, the race, whatever. And I'll, you know, I'll get you take care of as soon as, you know, whatever, whatever. Great. I'm like, okay. Lingered in the back of my head, man, am I getting played here by a friend? Yeah, I did. Uh, so he then played me saying, oh man, I forgot my, yeah, my checkbook at home. Drove home from Northern California to Los Angeles. So I'll, you know, Monday I'll get it taken care of, uh, get a check out to you. Monday comes here, nothing Tuesday, nothing again, not going to take more than a couple of days for something to show up in the mail, nothing and call him. And he says, oh, I'm really sorry, man. I, you know, had a forget what the excuse was, uh, you know, a hard quarter at work and I didn't get my bonus and this, that, and the other. And I just said, you knew this before you drove your Corvette up to the track. Didn't you, you knew you had no intention of paying. And I had no regard for, did you? Well, you know, whoop the car had problems. I mean, you know, and you go, brother, uh, it's not, not the way. So anyways, um, about five, six years later, um, he decided that, you know, it wasn't sitting well with him. I'd already just written it off and he actually paid up. So good on him. But yeah, it, it's a really interesting feeling when you're sitting there with your, wife you know we'd been married a couple years by that point but not too long and all of a sudden just two three years into your you know your marriage um i think we ended up going to toys r us and we bought ourselves because it's about i mean we just decided we were not going to have no christmas as a result of this asshole and we bought i think two board games something like that we bought two board games for ourselves and that is like that was an extravagant purchase for us. But we said, I know that we don't have any money. Like, you know, we're truly just not even scraping by uh, with food and everything else. But we're not going to let this guy ruin at least this one ceremonial day. We're going to at least go and spend whatever the amount was, 15 bucks, and bought a couple of board games uh, to play them. And that was our gift to ourselves. So none of that's sad again, right? I mean, it's racing. Come on, man. We're, we're, we were not starving, but it was just, you know, emblematic of sometimes you're willing to push yourself too far to do the thing that you love. And sometimes folks uh, show you ways where you really should not have done that. Last question here for tonight. Mike Markham MP. Hope you and your wife are well. Actually say the wife. Little, little prickly. Not fan of the, of the wife, by the way. I'm uh, not really doesn't resonate with me well i'm not saying you meant that mike but you know she's not a the um i know we always talk about how to grow fan interest and it's not easy considering indycar now being a niche sport and many sports fans have no connection to motorsports that said i think what sets indycar apart is the access fans are granted totally agree 
can't walk around the court and meet Steph Curry before a game or walk the field and hang with Drew Brees. Uh, He says, I went to the Detroit Grand Prix weekend last year, had paddock access at no additional charge, and I had access to basically everyone in the sport and was up close with the cars. This is unique in sports. He says, I think IndyCar should sell, air quote, sell this to the the casual stick-and-ball sports fan. Everyone loves access. People love to be up close and feel special. I think this would appeal to people who don't necessarily know anything about aero screen, side pods, or pit strategy. This is something that more popular sports don't come close to offering. This can be exploited. RP should emphasize this. We need to attract people who are not racers. What are your thoughts? Absolutely down with everything you mentioned here, Mike. Uh, I'm going to include this in uh, maybe the first thing that I post from the conversation I had with Bud Denker, but it follows this general mindset. Uh, Bud was saying, you know, every year at the Indy 500, we do the public driver's meeting where, you know, if you want to show up and sit in the grandstand Saturday, well, we do this kind of neat, you know, pomp and circumstance thing with the public driver's meeting. It's the only place we do it. Why? Well, we're going to fix that. So starting at St. Petersburg, we're going to do public driver's meetings. So if you're there at the track, you know, we're not, we're going to break tradition uh, Sunday morning or whatever it is, you know, the pre-race driver's meeting. We're not going to hold it in some room in the media center or wherever else hidden away from fans and from sight. We're going to do this up front in public. Come on out, fans, come and watch and listen. And B, don't just get to see your favorite drivers up close, but get brought into the process. Hear what we tell them. Hear the instructions. That, I think, is just brilliant, Mike. I really do. And, you know, being able to get clued into that, it's almost like getting invited into the locker room to hear that pregame speech, the pregame strategy. Okay, we're going to try and do this. Don't do that. This is how we want this done. At least fans will not only get a chance to see those drivers, maybe get some more autographs or photos or whatever, but also then go watch the race in the grandstands or wherever and feel like, oh, okay, well, they told them to not do this if this happens. Ah, that person just did it. Ah, you're going to get dinged that they would not have known beforehand, just as you mentioned. Up close, and when you said sell, you didn't mean actual tickets, and uh, I should have clarified that, but promote this as, yeah, come on in. Uh, we're not just going to let you get close and give you access you won't find in pretty much any stick and ball sport, but we're going to invite you into the process of how we do this. I love this idea that they've come up with for starting to hold, I believe, at every round, these public drivers' meetings before the race. All right, it is 9.34. It's much more than I thought I was going to do tonight. And actually, there's not a ton left to get to, uh, but I'm going to get to those tomorrow, Wednesday, at some point in time. Thanks for sending these in. These are... uh, these are really good, really good. And we got a lot more fun stuff coming here tomorrow when we keep going. One about uh, President Trump, who I mentioned, I wrote Mr. Trump in a Facebook post and a Twitter post. A little just silly jokey thing about him singing the national anthem. Um, but Mr. Trump at the Daytona 500. And it was interesting to see some folks not many, but some folks get way bent out of shape that I referred to him as Mr. Trump instead of President Trump. 
and it, I, again, you try and think of the 50 different minefields on social media before you say or do anything because someone's going to get butt hurt about something. I failed to recall. I forgot to remember that there are some folks, I'm not one of them, but some folks who are in the he's not my president thing and so they refuse to refer to him as president trump and that's some sort of intentional disrespect while i'm not one of those people i actually go for the writing journalism standard of referring to him as mister which is correct so again if i go and read the new york times or whatever else that's how he's referred to so it's just the traditional honoring of mr or mrs um i just referred to him as mr trump as i would with truly no disrespect meant there's no hidden oh he's not my president stuff but it was funny nonetheless to have one or two people uh one of them buddy lindblum who liked the comment former indycar crew chief like all right buddy uh, come on man uh that i should refer to him it's president trump marshall and i'm like oh, man you just can't say anything can you you just can't uh so anyways it abused me um that through no intent of course someone perceived there was intent and had to call me out for it and then i just said you know what? i'm going to delete every single comment on this facebook thread uh, so it's just what I posted and nothing more because I just, I, I didn't want to hear it. It was not meant to be anything more than a silly post. But again, I failed to try and think through every level of what someone might take opposition to. And darn it, I failed. But I also don't really give a crap, but I found it funny. All right. I'm going to go have dinner. Thank you all for being awesome. And I will speak to you tomorrow, which I think when you end up hearing this, it's going to be today. All right. It is 525 p.m. on a beautiful sunsetting Wednesday evening. We had the announcement, James Hinchcliffe driving for Andretti Autosport. That's awesome. And uh, word on the street is next week we will hear about a certain proprietor of the Fernando Alonso racing team partnering with the Schmidt Peterson Aero Motorsports outfit giving us the hashtag that we have just been praying for for a while now although I mentioned those names in reverse it'd certainly be Fernando's team up front Sam and Rick and their team second in that hashtag and hey you know what we got some hashtag t-shirts for you as well that makes you mean you might just enjoy those who knows so let's pick up where we left off yesterday without question from howard bennett that i trailed to marshall my senses are still divided and on overload i cannot believe what i saw was that impressive or toe curlingly awful please give a few balanced and wise words on the spectacle of donald trump lapping albeit on the apron daytona in the quote beast limo uh for that oddball race series i've heard about you know howard it's it's a weird thing Uh, the most wise thing that i read about this the most balanced thing i read about this 
was from someone, I think, on the book faces in response to someone getting really mad about this and such and saying, look, for those who are ardent supporters of our president, they loved it, I'm sure. They were a big fan of it. And since we live in a time where it, I think many believe there are not much in the way of undecided voters left, we have folks that are fairly firm on one side or the other. Maybe there's questions within the Democratic Party as to who will receive votes from Democrats, Democrats, Democrat-leaning voters. But for those on the Republican side, I, there's one and only. This was awesome. I mean, this was just truly a great thing that only made folks love and support even more i have yet to see uh anyone who's a supporter of the president say this was a bad thing and horrible so i would say for those that are big supporters of our president this was certainly an additive and positive thing for those who are not this is more fodder to say he's bad, it's bad, the worst thing, a waste, all kinds of things. Stripping out the political angle, Howard, I'd just say that there's one thing about this that didn't fit, and that, as you mentioned, was being on the apron. I think when I read about this possibility a couple of days before it happened, to me, I'm like, awesome. Even if it's not at a high rate of speed, get up on the banking you know if you're gonna do it do it and so that's the only thing that disappointed me in the spectacle of an american president taking laps around a storied racing circuit and you know who knows maybe it's the twenty-two thousand pound curb weight of the beast that had i'm just assuming here the army corps of engineers saying nope <laughs> you get up on that banking and if you're going anything below a hundred and something or other uh it's gonna tumble down and and crash so don't even try it i don't know if that even happened but that's all that i can think of they might say but yeah for hashtag me personally howard since it was arranged and going to happen I at least wanted to see it happen properly. I would have loved. Could you imagine presidential limo just all the way up on the high line? You know, some sparks shooting off the door handles or the wing mirrors or something like that. Now that would be pretty amazing. Beyond that, I don't know, man. Anything, it seems today, involving an American president uh, really just there's a line right down the middle where you know there's love on one side hate on the other go back if it was president obama go forward to whomever whether it's mr trump or another candidate winning man we just we really do seem to be in a time where no matter who it is there's just automatic hate applied if it's not your candidate so yeah just leaving the that stuff out and going for the car parts I just want to see that thing whistling uh, on the high line. If nothing else, flying out of turn two, stabbing the brakes late and deep. and then st Yeah, don't go straight down. 
Don't go all the way down to turn three. No, there's a bus stop there, man. I know it. I've seen it. It gets used every January. Rolex 24. I want to see what it's like trying to stop 22,000 pounds from a high rate of speed. Nail that apex. Float the thing across the right-hand apex. Keep that thing on the tarmac. Romp back on the throttle. Blast out the other end. And then climb on to the turn three banking. That, to me... That would have been all kinds of awesome. Can you imagine? Uh, How's this? For any of those who were, quote, on the fence about who they should vote for, I think anybody doing that in that machine is certainly going to get more interest and possibly more votes. So, or maybe not. Maybe I'm just dumber than usual, but that's what came into my head when you asked. We're going to go to, where are we going to go next? Joseki 100. It's just a standing appointment every week. Our pal from Reddit. Who are we talking about? Well, that certain Spaniard. Marshall, have you seen the series of posts and Instagram stories Alonzo posted in the last few days? A picture of him doing neck training, a retweet of 100 days to the Indy 500 image. He also took some Q&A in Spanish, confirming he will be in the race. And most interestingly, when asked, uh, do you have a team for Indy? He replied, what do you think? I feel like something is off. Uh, in this Alonzo, Honda, Andretti saga. Robin Miller wrote in his mailbag that Andretti is not interested in racing that entry with any other driver. Uh, both Carpenter and Schmidt said to uh, the press, Alonzo has not made any contact for a possible seat. Uh, and there's been complete radio silence in general from all parties. It doesn't seem to me like a finished chapter. Uh, it goes on to say that hashtag me personally have a crazy tinfoil hat theory. This quote veto happened so late that Michael made Alonzo sign a contract. So he's now contractually obliged to race Alonzo at the Indy 500 or pay him obscene amounts of money. So Alonzo will now be loaned to a, a shell team, a, a Chevy team, a bit of a shell operation run by a staff that also happens to be from Andretti. And you mentioned a lot of other things here, too. Um, I, yeah, that sounds fun. No, that's not happening. Um, again... If anything other than Fernando driving for spam takes place, I will be surprised. I did have a buddy say today it's going to be drawing Reinbold racing, uh, but no. Um, in the stuff that Robin posted in the last couple hours, which would have come in after your question, Michael Andretti gave a phenomenal answer to the question of, you know, trying to get Michael on the record to talk about the things blowing up as a result of honda saying no and michael just unwound this amazing answer basically saying in so many words it wasn't honda they just couldn't come to terms with fernando and anyways uh robin called me afterward how's this before robin went to the press conference with the hinch announcement he and i spoke i mentioned something he said hey i'll call you back if anything funny or silly happens while I'm there. Well, lo and behold, the phone rings afterwards. It says, all right, let me tell you this one. And uh, I'm not poking fun at Michael. I'm just saying, you know, it's his choice to use whatever words he wants or whatever excuse. But it was it was just funny. The The only thing, Joe Secchi, that worries me a little bit. I know we're all different. We don't, there's no such thing as common sense. Not everybody, everybody does not opt into the same sensibilities, but it has worried me to see more than a few people reacting to Robin's article where Michael threw out this just 
beautiful line of fantasy uh, diversion and to have folks commenting, see, well, see, no, well, it wasn't Honda. It had nothing to do with Honda. Oh, my gosh. Please. Um, if I wrote, if I said that I'm seven foot tall and weigh 100 pounds, would you believe me simply because I said the words or wrote it on the Internet? Um, yeah, there's a little bit of, of responsibility in parsing information. Uh, when some folks tell you things that you know do not align with anything at all that make any sense, but you go, well, I read, he said it and I read it, therefore it's got to be a thing. I don't know what I can do to... To, to help those in that unfortunate predicament. Uh, let's see. Where else are we going to go here? We're going to scroll down to Paul Davis. Hey, Paul. Seems like it's been a little while since I've read one of your questions. My apologies there. It says, Marshall, you've discussed possibilities for a hybrid engine for the next IndyCar. A fully electric car seems to be already covered by Formula E. Are there any other types of green engine technology? Hydrogen fuel cells, natural gas, zero emissions, cylinder reactivation. The IndyCar could propose that would attract and excite a bunch of other manufacturers. I think, Paul, I'm going to stick to what I've offered recently, which is instead of IndyCar proposing things to manufacturers... Since IndyCar is at the blunt edge, not the cutting edge of engine technology, but the blunt edge as a series, again, they're not engine people, they're racing people, they're, they're event people, I would continue to go with what I've been saying about turning this actual argument around or question around. Hey, engine manufacturers, not just Chevy and Honda, because you know, you're already here and I know they're trying to sign them up to stay, but hey, everyone else, what things aren't we doing that we could, that would interest you? I think the the zero emissions angle through fuel is certainly one where right now IndyCar has Speedway as its fuel partner, which is great. This stands out as an area, though, that as long as you sign away the marketing rights commercial rights usage rights in terms of what fuel goes into the cars to a single company under a sponsorship that benefits the series you take that chance away paul from manufacturers stepping in and saying yeah you know what we're playing with uh nitro peanut butter And, man, we would love to fill our tank with nitro peanut butter. Creamy, of course, not chunky. But, well, you guys signed away the sponsorship to, uh, and, you know, this is not picking on Speedway. I'm not picking on anybody. It could be any brand, Chevron, Shell, I don't care. As long as we, we as a series keep signing, pardon my friend, shit away to one group when there are many that should be playing in the sport, we're just always going to be stuck in these situations. So the zero emission fuel or as close to zero emission fuel as possible, that's an area that to me, boy, that should be a race, shouldn't it? All the the fuel companies, BP and this, everyone you can think of, hey, this is open. Whatever fuel you want to, trust me, we're wide open. Fuel, gasoline, uh, whatever, whomever's making whatever. 
if it is a liquid and it combusts, we're wide open for you to come here and develop this, provided, again, it's not actually increasing pollutants. Uh, it's not more polluting, but actual as close to a zero as possible. So this is the race. This is the challenge. Come one, come all. Every possible place where you stop and fuel up. We want all those companies and smaller, you name it, ones that are on the cutting edge and ones that have just come to life, whatever. Come here. And use us and use what we do in a competitive way to help develop that. You're going to develop it faster. Well, man, guess what you can't do if you keep signing up, you know, hey, Sunoco, the official fuel or Speedway or all the various brands you might think of. Same thing I've mentioned ad nauseum about electronics. As long as IndyCar keeps signing away, it's data system it's dashes it's electronics to one vendor it's the stupidest thing imaginable all of us spend the majority of our days with this little rectangular thing in our hand looking at it talking to it listening to it tapping at it whether tablets television just constant so what do you do? Well, you sign away the possibility for all the brands that make those things to possibly participate in your sport in real meaningful ways that get their tech and R&D departments involved. Use IndyCar as the proverbial high-speed test bed. No, let's eradicate that because we're going to sign this to a spec vendor, try and get the price as low as possible. So that while it doesn't cost a ton to buy, and that's great, teams are yet again screwed if they want to go and strike a deal with Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, LG, yada, yada, yada. Hey, come spend millions. We're going to do cool stuff together, and you're going to be able to market the heck out of it, promote IndyCar, promote yourselves. This is going to be amazing, but you can't. So I would say, Paul, same mindset applies here. Uh, I don't know what all the things are. I love the idea of the zero emission fuel, which IndyCar is wanting to try and pursue. But this is a case to listen instead of propose and get the best ideas that are brought in by manufacturers, workshop that with the manufacturers that have expressed interest and see what you can come up with that invites more to come and play. Right now, nobody's coming to IndyCar to develop anything on the technical front, period. Let's go to Nezzy37 from Reddit. I think this might be your first time filing a question, so thank you, Mr. or Mrs. Nezzy37. The last two sound podcasts you posted got me thinking, why was an IndyCar engine never run in IMSA's old GTP formula? Was it simply against the rules? I'm thinking of Cosworth DFX, for example. Well, we did have turbocharged Cosworths in GTP. Not many, not often, but yeah, uh, we did. Uh, and pretty cool. Beyond that, though, uh, what else did we have? Well, we had the Buick V6, which made probably the most horsepower of any manufacturer <laughs> ever uh, in IndyCar and IMSA. And those production-based stock block V6s weighed almost as much as the entire car itself. 
did not stay together very long. So after they set pole position, they would go, you know, sometimes double-digit numbers of laps in the race before going kerblamo. So we had the Buick V6 Turbo, uh, 3.4 liters that played across GTP and IndyCar. Uh, so there was a little bit of that. Not a ton, though. So it's a great point. A um, little bit of it, not a lot. Uh, let's go to Tim Falkowitz. Guy's name sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, he puts these questions together. Uh, he says, love hearing the sounds of cart back in the day. I feel like the current engines just don't have that same sound uh, that fall that one falls in love with. He says, with the current engines, could they ever get back to that amazing engine sound, or are they limited uh, with uh, V6s in the current setup? <sighs> Revs help immensely, Tim. Right now, we they agree to a limit of 12,000 RPMs. It's very expensive developmentally and maintenance-wise to up that number. The higher the revs, the more it costs, the more you wear the motors out and you wear the parts out. It would really help if we got to, I'd say, even thirteen or 14,000. It'd give us a very different sound signature that would be pretty amazing. V6s, turbo V6s, they have sounded amazing in the past. Uh, mostly, I'm thinking of Formula One in the 1980s. Uh, Honda, the Tag Porsches, the, I mean, the Ferraris. Wow, they sounded amazing. There was also something that made them sound amazing, and that was the ferocity. They revved so quickly. They made so much power, uh, you know, a thousand plus at times. And it was the just sheer nuclear explosion grade happenings inside the cylinder walls that got pooped out through the exhausts that struck you. Uh, they sounded amazing. They sounded like like supersonic uh, double barrel chainsaws. But it was just this: you hit the hear the driver hit the throttle. It just rah, like crazy. And we aren't making that kind of power right now. We just aren't. Uh, this formula is impressive. We do make really good 700-ish horsepower from a little bit over 700 with these 2.2-liter twin-turbo V6s. But this is not a big, ferocious engine formula for the sake of keeping costs in check. So could these? Yes. So we get a little bit bigger, the 2.4-liter coming in a year, two years. That should sound hopefully a little bit more aggressive. But yeah, there there's enough done on the spec to make these things spec-ish and keep the revs a bit modest and not make the power too crazy in the current formula. Kind of keep it where it is. Going to go to our man Jacob Bame, who says, Marshall recently, while coming back to some old Need for Speed video games, a road safety video playing in the underground game reminded me of one Mark Develis. Says I've done some research on him and found that he's done some karting. Went on to race in the 2001 Star Mazda and 2002 and three Toy Atlantics. Then moved on to help EA Sports tune the cars in Need for Speed. Do you remember the guy? And if so, what is your recollection of him? Was he a promising driver that just wasn't lucky? 
Where's my impression of Need for Speed cars driving like carts with bodywork and accurate represent, representation of what he was capable of on tracks? <clears throat> Done my best here, Jacob, as I drink a little bit of coffee. Ah, we didn't get to bed till after 2 last night, and I was up at about 7, so that's not the worst, but yeah, a little help, coffee helps here. Um, I don't remember him at all, man. Uh, I don't even remember seeing his name, much less remembering his driving uh at all now that's that's not a judgy judgy negative thing that i'm saying about mark uh should clarify here 2001 was my last full season working in indycar i was working pretty hard at that time to try and do something different in life find those opportunities uh, which finally happened after the year uh, so this 2001 star Mazda type stuff he would have done, I wouldn't have seen it, noticed or cared the Atlantic stuff. He would have done the year after one or two years after really and truly, I was just trying to be a normal guy working a nine to five in the biotech industry, doing some kind of engineering. I don't know what type of crap I was doing, but anyways, uh, loved racing, stayed close to IndyCar and Formula One and the American Le Mans series, but just was not overwhelming myself with uh, any of the, the newish people on the scene I didn't know about. So that might be why I can tell you zero about Mark, M-A-R-C, Develis, D-E-V-E-L-L-I-S. So maybe some of you who were aware of him can tell me, and I realize I could have Googled him and given you some sort of response, but uh, truth is, man, uh, I know as much about him as he probably knows about me, which is zero. Going to go to Cade Fulling. Coming back to that other Dalton Kellett question I thought we had. And we do. And it's here. And thank you, Tim. So I'm just going to... Re- Let's see. We've got one here from Cade. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right. About eight questions left to go, so not not too many. Cade says, MP, long-time listener, first question. My question is regarding Dalton Kellett's interview just before he jumped in the car at the spring training open test last week. Did you catch it? I did. Simply put, it was awkward and uncomfortable to watch. As I was watching, I thought to myself, for a guy who has a lot of doubters, he sure isn't helping himself the way he is stumbling through this. So my question is, is this just a case of a nervous young driver who's just a little anxious about his first major IndyCar opportunity? Or does this interview confirm what some believe that Dalton is not ready for his for this ride and should really not be piloting the number 14? Just something that popped into my mind because, man, that was an awkward interview. All the best to you and your wife. Uh, also super pumped. You're an Alter Bridge fan. This is one of my favorite bands ever. Ah, Cade, you rock. Keep sending more questions, please. Uh, this is always a good thing to try and understand. So you know that there's pretty significant questions about Dalton Kellett and whether he can measure up, and I know that. There's a number of fans that do. Probably shouldn't assume though that he's in that same headspace oh i know people are doubting me and what am i gonna do i would guess you know he's if he's silly enough to read the comments which our man sebastian Bourdais has told us to never do he might have seen some of that i hope that he didn't i hope that he hasn't it's not going to help him 
uh, people saying, hey, man, I, I'm of the opinion you're probably going to fail. I don't know. Does that ever really help someone when they try and do something? Probably not. Um, I, I would just say, Cade, let's not assume that because there are doubts that he is on pit lane thinking, oh, people have doubts about me, and I don't know, and how should I answer this? I would not put him in that headspace. I'd say the more realistic thing would be, holy crap, I am about to climb into a car for the very first time and share the track with Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, Alexander Rossi, Ryan hunter Ray, Colton Herta, Scott Dixon, and add 10 more Hunter Killers who are just, again, IndyCar's murderer's row. He's tested an IndyCar twice before, I believe, solo, more or less. This is the first time he is getting on track with some of the best of the best all time, and definitely in this modern era, one of the deepest, deepest lineups ever. My sheer guess here, Cade, is if there was anything going through his head that might have made him a little nervous, it was, oh, I'm about to step onto the court and I see LeBron and I see Anthony Davis and I see and so on and so forth going, all right, I hope this works out well, because that would be totally natural for someone who's not coming into IndyCar with big, big accolades and you know having knocked down the world and proven he's a world beater colton herda last year at spring training um first of all he's a precocious little fart and no one's ever told him he can't be champion and so therefore he's never thought otherwise and second i mean frankly uh there's no reason to tell him that because he could be our champion this year that's how good he is but you know the guy climbs in has immense skill immense belief and has never had a reason to really seriously doubt that. Rocked and was, what, fastest on the first day last year, right, with Harding Steinbrenner Racing that barely made it to spring training. So you take him, you take Dalton, who's getting in late on the second day after everything's been rained out more or less. His veteran teammate climbs out of the car, uh, which, you know, based on last year's performances we expected to be a shitbox his veteran four-time champion teammate sebastian bourdais who really wasn't there like holding him putting his arm around him and being his best friend but actually like i'm here to work gotta make this car as good as i can in limited time we'll leave the the slapping asses and whatever for later uh climbs out of the car fastest overall when he gets ready to hand it over so I'd say those things are probably the pressure points, not the, a lot of people doubt me. Would say the interview with Dalton, not totally uncommon. It's not like I've spoken with the kid a hundred times, but he's young. He's an engineer, right? An actual degreed college educated engineer. On average, those tend not to be the folks that are also stand-up comedians or the smoothest operators in the world. Could be a little bit awkward. This isn't just by stereotype, but by what I see regularly. So you throw everything I just mentioned in. Then the fact that 
you know, kids a bit brainy and more on the smart education side than just raw, no thoughts in his brain athlete, you know, dunking on the world. I think that's how you get that interview, because it's not too far from Dalton's normal resting place. So I wouldn't hold it against him, man. I think for what he did, only being, what was it, 4.2 seconds off of the fastest time uh, set, it was better than I expected. Wasn't a lot better. I was thinking about five seconds was going to be the number. And he was, again, I believe 4.2 around Kota. That's what it should be. It's really what it should be. That's a, it's a very technical place. It's going to ex- really expose uh, one's massive talent or one's inverse of that. So I, I'm more encouraged about the kid leaving there and coming back and racing uh, at Coda for the first time in IndyCar in late April than I was before he climbed in the car. And I would tell you that if he had an entire day, uh, I'm confident that that number would probably be high two seconds, low threes. That really genuinely, no joke, would be super impressive. So I'm I'm feeling a little warmer and fuzzier on this topic uh, than I expected to, Cade. Uh, So thanks again, and keep rocking out with Alter Bridge, my man. Uh, we're going to go to a practiced observer. If the Indy Lights field gets to the field size required to award Formula One Super License points, would any F1 hopefuls jump in for what they think could be easy points to get an F1 Super License? I would say absolutely not. So we have seen for a while, hasn't always been the practice, but it's been kind of the norm, the hottest couple of drivers in what was f3000 back in the day then gp2 what we now call formula 2 the top couple there the champ second place third whatever for those that do not have the money to move to formula one or some sort of link to a formula one team pre-existing might be the test driver might be reserve sim something if you aren't able to pay for it or aren't aligned with an f1 team beforehand we've seen this not work out super well for the finest young talent going up the formula one ladder would i think those drivers would come to indie lights if the numbers were there for them to award points to get an f1 super license absolutely not in just ever because if they were serious about getting into formula one forget the earning the super license part the actual ever being given a lap in a formula one car part it's not going to be because a team says oh so you diverted racing alongside us in formula two in favor of going to indycar to get a license but we can't actually grade or judge you because we didn't see you because you went this other path and we would also assume you have no link to us i mean could it be done in the scenario you present yes is there any way i think a formula one team would react to that and go oh yeah climb in young man young woman and drive our car 
zero percent. We're going to go to, again, one of my favorite screen names. I forgot my password. Okay. From Reddit. It's been a while, but I remember seeing you wear a black cap with an off-center little racer silhouette. Where would I find one of those? Well, you would find one, probably about four of them, um, in our house. And, yeah, it's not a little racer logo as well. It's actually fairly large. Um, I have those made because I do. I've actually had my own hats made for, man, I just realized it's been almost 20 years. So I got a fat head. It's not the biggest head ever, but uh, we're a large slash extra large. Um, I have a particular brand of hat. It's Flex Fit that I like. Um, it's a fitted cap. I do not like the trucker hats. I don't like the ones with a little strap in the back with a little half moon. Your hair sticks out. Uh, I'm a straight up fitted cap kind of guy. And so when I was at speed for seven or eight years, they had these cheapo garbage hats and I'm like, no, that that's trash. So I'm just going to have these made myself and they cost, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks a piece with the embroidery, the custom embroidery, and the cost of the hats and whatever. I'm sure I could find someplace cheaper. I probably need to work more on that. Uh, and then with Racer, um, I how's this? I never really asked Racer for any hats. I just said, all I need your logo. And had that uh, digitized, and off we go. So I just make the ones that you see me wearing or that now have the little the Racer logo plus the little cartoon character of me running that Roger Wark did. Uh, I just have those made by myself although my man Derek Costco from Toronto Motorsports for like two years has been teasing me with oh yeah we're, we're gonna make some hats they're gonna be amazing sure Derek you bet buddy yeah I don't know man you're, you're killing me here uh but I do need to order some more so I guess if anything thank you for that reminder and yeah so that's where they are that's where they come from uh it's just me having them made uh, here locally in the good old area of the bays. Going to go to Michael Rolls, or is it Rollis? I don't know, but tell me. MP, does the fact that IndyCar only has one super speedway like Indy make it harder to make changes to help with the handling? It says one test day and a week to practice before the Indy 500. It's not much time to check all the boxes. Now add the arrow screen, uh, and how do the engineers figure out the best setup? Well... I'll push back on that a little bit, Michael. Can't think of any event in the world other than maybe the Daytona 500 where cars spend as much time on track prior to the race. So, yeah, uh, knowing that we're not racing these cars for the first time, knowing that even if a new chassis came out, of course there'd be plenty to figure out, but... With the advent of simulation, both the computer-based crunching of information to optimize chassis setup simulation using server farms, and what's called the driver-in-the-loop, the DIL, driver-in-the-loop simulator, which is where you see the driver sitting in the mock race car with the big screens in front of he or she and the multi-axis rams beneath giving mimicking all the movements of the car where they make actual setup changes virtual setup changes but develop a car to get it super close to optimal plus 
wind tunnel testing plus shaker rigs and this is rigs and that's rigs if there was a new car debuting for 2021 sure teams would want all the time they could get because you always want more but would they be in trouble at indy if they only had one test day in a week of practice not at all (laughs) not at all so what you end up having here michael is a case of teams filling the allotted time if indycar said you could have 10 days of practice for the indy 500 they would come up with 10 days worth of things to do or to try if they said you've got three days well obviously those three days would be filled but you would probably have things that we might consider a little bit more valuable there'd be less exploration being done hey i don't know if this is going to work and i it's just a crazy idea let's go out and try this setting try this setup try this component that's where you fill out the 10 days just hey everybody give me an idea because we got a lot of time to fill or frankly some teams will go "Ah, that's cool we're only going to need pick the number seven six we're going to have the others and can go out if we really want but at some point we're just pounding around in a circle risking the equipment putting miles on it so i hear you it sounds like there's ins- could be perceived as insufficient time not really uh the only people that want more time and need more time are those who crash leading into qualifying uh those are the folks who are craving more time but other than that yeah you tend to find out pretty quickly whether you were right or wrong with your off-season R&D direction. Oh, man. I was just talking with Dario Franchitti today for a story I'm doing for the next issue of Racer, and I don't know if it's this passage will make it into it, but he was just talking about there are years at Indianapolis where you know what you got from day one. He was mentioning in 2012... He said, we're just slow. We're just straight up slow. And it was a fight. It was an absolute fight to get ourselves to a place of competitiveness. Obviously, it worked out well for him in the end, but they knew right away, this thing is just towing an anchor behind it for reasons we don't understand. Cars identical to Scott Dixon's. Dixie is quick like a bunny. We're going to have to fight to get there, and we don't know why, but we're going to have to fight. Those are the folks who, trust me, it's a million different things, rapid changes, all kinds of stuff, radical directions taken to try and find speed. There are other times where you just roll out of the trailer and the thing is a rocket. You almost can't make it go slow, and whether it was great decisions on setup and R&D directions and so on, who knows? But there are years where you certainly want more, but you might not need it. There's some years where you need it all, but you might not get enough. But rarely do I know of teams going into the Indy 500 these days, Michael, where they just feel like we have no idea. We, we are suffering from a lack of, of knowledge due to insufficient time on track. Last little thing I'll throw in here too. Efficiency is a big part of this. 
right? You can be a super ambitious team that wants to try a million different things, and that's great. How you structure your days, how quickly you get to and from the garage, do you have everything set up in advance? If you're on pit lane and your driver is continuing to complain about understeer, 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 and you know that based on the spring package that you put on the car and maybe the dampers and who again you got an idea oh man i think we're gonna have to make a pretty big change we need to go back on the setup pad Uh, these other springs are the ones that i had in mind but do i want to go to a different anti-roll bar if you're the one that has that in your mind waits for the driver to come in have that conversation, download and talk about it for five or 10 minutes, who knows, maybe 15, look at data, then make a decision, then make the call to the crew chief, go get these springs, get this, you know, yada, 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 get this set up. We're going to need to go on the pad, do the set down for it. Okay, that's maybe normal, but if you're thinking, I want to maximize my time on track at the Indy 500 because we could have rain some days, could be horrible winds, super heat, super cold, just extremes that maybe, you know, aren't favorable. Do you do that? Or do you, as the race engineer, listening to your driver after you've made some changes and they're still out there and saying, man, boy, it's still really, really scary corner off and trying to keep it from getting into the wall. Do you wait for the car to come in to have the conversations to do the verbal download from the driver maybe have them pop out look at some data go over some stuff and then arrive at that conclusion or while you're hearing this do you say to the crew chief hey bill can we send so-and-so back to the garage back to the transporter grab these springs out of the thing and get the this and get the that and look in here and pull those out to get that in into our garage have that stuff laid out for us because i have a feeling we're going to need to jet back and get that going and i'd rather have us be fully prepared for that than not yeah sure of course hey go back you know again you assume everyone knows where everything is in the trailer but it's in this drawer and get this so when the driver comes in just do a quick little verbal confirmation okay it sounded like we didn't solve it okay well cool pop out right hell stay in i don't care get the tugger ready we're going to tow this back as soon as we can't go and i'll sit on the side pod and hell we can talk on the way back to the garage but there's 15 to 20 minutes saved right there and again it's that mindset mike where you go okay uh time that's the precious thing everyone has the same amount How do you, through efficient actions, efficient planning, get more use out of that time than others? So, you know, I would just say that there are some teams that you see show up late to the start of practice or I don't I don't want to say fart around, but aren't pushing super hard to get everything laid out and ready to go the moment that the uh, the green flag waves or, you know, if they're coming back from making a change and have been down for a little while, you know, uh, there are those where you see, like, man, that car hits the lane, and seemingly within five minutes, the car is gone. And so, you know, hits the lane, someone throws that starter into the back of it right away, it starts warming up, 
the driver instead of being off oh we forgot to tell good old so-and-so to wake up no hey we're gonna be ready to roll from the garage in about 10 minutes please call or go get so-and-so from the bus tell them we need them on pit lane at this time and again it's all these little areas of efficiency there are times man where you have the driver standing on pit lane arms folded looking around going i'm here where the f is my team you have the opposite too hey where's our guy where is she where's whomever where i mean if we had their helmet we'd climb in ourselves but they're not here it's these little things man that uh, can really add to or decrease uh, the amount of time waste so there you go last couple for us Scuderia course a question from ryan ward thanks again ryan by the way for sending in plenty of questions for us i uh, said i've noticed Scuderia course is still listed as a sponsor on ed carpenter racing's website they seemingly have updated everything else so Scuderia course is still involved with ecr or is that still an ongoing discussion would hate to see indycar lose a potential team with ties to a larger maker automaker like ferrari i've not heard a thing about Scuderia course continuing ryan uh, was under the belief that that was all going away but maybe it isn't maybe i should ask would say that they originally came in through an indy 500 co-entry last year expanded it to the full season with ed jones sharing the car could they be back for some sort of indy 500 type thing possibly wouldn't overstate the links to ferrari though Ryan, I mean, while they have, while Giacomo Mattioli um, has phenomenal ties to Ferrari, I have heard nothing to suggest that those ties have any connection to anything they do or IndyCar might do with that Italian brand. Joshua Ponce says, Marshall, I don't have anything IndyCar related for this week, but it's motorsports related. And that is to Ryan Newman's crash following the checkered flag of the Daytona 500. Since I know racing is a dangerous sport at every level, from karting all the way to the top, Formula One, but seeing Newman's crash really concerned me. I used to watch NASCAR for many years while I was following Jeff Gordon from pretty much the late 90s. But as I grew up now, I'm almost 30, NASCAR racing scared me to the point that once Jeff retired in 2015, I immediately switched from watching that to IndyCar and sports cars. He says, yes, but both of those classes of racing are dangerous. He says, but I'm not sure how much you know about NASCAR. He says, I'd assume a lot. That's a kind assumption, over-assumption, Ryan. Um, but do you think NASCAR needs to change the style of racing on big super speedways like Daytona and Talladega? He says, I was never a fan of pack racing. As I always found it scary to watch. Uh, and when wrecks would happen, they would take out a large chunk of the cars in the process. Uh, which also looks to be very violent as well. Do I think? (laughs) That's a question that's been posed thousands of times throughout my life. Josh, I don't... I'm not sure how to answer this because it's not as if my thoughts or answers to this means anything. My adult guy who's spent his whole life in racing answer is yeah it's stupid but it has been stupid for a really long time 
Many folks have said, as I've read on the social medias, the tweeters and the book faces, that restrictor plate style racing needs to go away and it leads to these kinds of things. And aren't we lucky? Didn't we, uh, didn't we miss, barely miss a fatality here and so on and so forth? And I just hold my hands up and go, yeah, cannot argue, Josh, your viewpoint you and I are in total agreement. And to all those who feel that way, feel this way. But this is nothing new, my brother. As you know, having watched Cup for a long time, this happens every year. It has happened for as many years as I can remember. Well, I shouldn't say that. I did grow up. NASCAR is the first thing I remember, by the way. The first driver who I knew of, who was my, quote, favorite it was a guy named Richard Penny, P-E-N-N-Y. And my father would tell me it's Petty. Was I was four years old or whatever, five, and I'd, no, Pe- Penny, Penny. Finally, he was like, all right, this kid's not going to go far, but if that's, look, just go with it. Um, this is the agreement. This has been what is accept is accepted, Josh. That's the thing here. So the question that you and many others have posed or the opinions that have been stated. Again, I'm giving a big old thumbs up, but they're rhetorical because NASCAR has been unwilling to do anything different. Therefore, it's a rhetorical thing. Should convicts be able to purchase guns? No. But can some? Yeah. All right, not saying legally necessary necessarily, but again, should any child go to bed hungry tonight? No, everyone will raise their hand and say that that's an atrocity if that happens. Does it? Yes. Why? Ultimately, it could be policies of a government. And again, I'm not talking America, I'm saying anywhere. Could it be policies? Could it be decisions on the local level? Could it be the parents? Again, there's so many things, but the point being, we can absolutely all agree there should be no extinction of animal species due to pollution, over hunting, uh, anything. All animals should be cool and left alone and live long and happy lives with no interference from us. I think most not all, but probably the majority of people would agree with that. Does it happen? Absolutely not. Uh, and we can run down the list of all the things that we collectively agree. This is so stupid. Why is this allowed? Here we are again, man. What do they talk about? Every year, it's got a term. Every single broadcaster uses it on television, on radio, Podcasts, writers use it. It's on social media, fans. What's it called? The big one. It's even got a name. It happens so often. It's so expected. It has its own name. And there is a rightful expectation, which is proved correct every year, that it's going to happen. So I'm with you, but... It's a rhetorical question. 
not a realistic question that can be asked with an expectation of action being taken. This is something that is sanctioned by NASCAR. Do they want to see fatalities? I would say, of course not. Meaning, is there someone or a group of people inside the organization saying to themselves or privately among themselves, man, can you imagine if someone died, the kind of ratings and attention we would get? It'd be negative attention, but man, we would be on everybody's tongues. Do I think that actually takes place? No. You would have to have insane people on staff to actually be thinking that and hoping that happens. There's not too big of a line, though, Josh, right? Of you don't have to be there there going, death, 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 yay, to, hey, we allow this thing to take place that, you know, could have that outcome at a higher percentage possibility than if we were to make a change. It's this weird thing of, yeah, we're not rooting for it, but we're also not really being honest with ourselves when we look at the fact that every year there's at least one big one in the race. There's always at least one during the variety of clashes and qualifying sesh runs and whatnot. How many times do we see... 5 to 10 to 12 cars going from being running side by side Noah's Ark style to spinning around like little tops and crashing into one another and smoke pouring out and this blowing up and this hanging off it happens what? 2, 3, 4 times per Daytona speed weeks? So This is an accepted part of things, man. And so when Ryan Newman has a really troubling crash and there's fears that he might be gravely injured, of course, the commentary moved towards this. Should they? No. Do they? Yes. It, they, it's sanctioned. It's fully agreed that this is just an accepted part of it. And where I think this is allowed internally, where the, the agreement happens internally, Joshua, to allow this to keep just going on year after year is vehicle build, right? If you look inside, if you look at one of the in-car camera shots, I mean, I don't know how there's any steel tubing left in the country because it's all been used with the NASCAR chassis. The drivers inside are protected by so much steel. And then the seats and the Hans and the padding and the this, right? They are they're in things that there's a feeling and belief that you basically can't kill somebody in one of these the car is so tough can take such a big hit or multiple hits it's it's not even something to worry about (sighs) so that kind of bravery with people's lives that's the thing that troubles me and i think troubles many but let's not confuse should and could 
with Will and R. I know of nothing, man, to suggest that when we come back next year for Daytona or they head to Talladega or wherever and are bombing around at a zillion miles an hour and crashing into each other all the time and having these huge, holy shit kind of wrecks, that there's going to be anyone in NASCAR thinking we need to fundamentally alter the style of racing to reduce the chances of this happening. My guess is the first thought is, well, let's take a look at the crashes and see if we need to make any changes to the cars to make them a little bit safer. This is crash test dummy mindset. All right, so there's these clowns inside the car, and we just need to keep changing the car until we more or less can guarantee the dummy inside is going to survive anything. You go, wow. (laughs) You're not questioning the environment whether it's sane to submit the air quote crash test dummies to this, you just want to keep finding ways to beef up the cars and maybe soften the blows a little bit more so that they can withstand bigger, faster, meaner crashes. That's the flaw. Is it recognized as a flaw? Obviously not brother, because it's going to happen next year in the year after in the year after and hopefully there's no more hashtag uh, ryan strong or hashtag praying for newman or anything else but we would be stupid stupid human beings to expect any different 12 months from now two to go a little bit of soapbox there by the way i don't know if i had a good one really this week so hopefully that one wasn't too terrible but if it, if it is do as you all often do and tell me i'm trash uh we're gonna go to cody dw12 so we're gonna assume your full name is cody dan weldon 12 hi marshall i remember last year jay fried said something about wanting indycar to return to having a dedicated video game and then an announcement was expected soon which then never happened do we have any update on that yeah we got a video game question a video game that is well done and cheap could open up the younger markets to get into the series and while there's been a few industry changes in the past few months i believe that with the upcoming new consoles now would be the time to strike best of wishes to you and your wife always makes me smile to see a new podcast in my spotify that's awesome cody thank you uh i wanted your question here because although i know jay and all of his constituents constituents it's a new word constituents at indycar don't listen to this um this is the thing that's been said for longer than i've been doing this podcast this is a thing that's been said for many many years this is the thing that occurs to good folks like yourself and many others hi esports really gets bigger every year Hey, uh, there's other racing series that have official esports presences, and auto manufacturers have presences. And boy, this thing really, truly is only gonna help if you want to make new fans and get them involved. Let them know you even exist. Let them know the grandpa's favorite sport could also be engaged by grandpa's grandson or granddaughter 
Crickets, man. Uh, I'm going to ask again here when I get a chance to speak with Jay. I have an opportunity. We have an opportunity now with the good folks at Penske Entertainment to put this on their radar. I don't know if they all get it or would get it any more than IndyCar. They sure are smart, though, and they sure seem to listen to valid and well-crafted arguments or suggestions. And so maybe, Cody, maybe this amazing question you have asked, which I would say dozens of others have asked using seemingly the same words and the same construct, all pointing to the most obvious thing that IndyCar needs to do on this show over and over again. Maybe it's time to stop throwing it at the same people who don't do a thing or try and get somewhere and don't. Maybe it's time to throw it at the people, the new people in charge who seemingly want to do things. Uh, Doers. We got doers who've bought the whole thing. And I'm not saying that there aren't doers in the series right now. There are many doers, but they're more competition side, right? The race cars on the racetrack. Big picture, big picture stuff. That's been IndyCar's weak spot. And so, yeah, I'm going to throw this at some of our friends at Penske Entertainment and say, hey, I don't pretend to be the one that knows a lot about this other than knowing it's a glaring omission. Want any more input? Want any more feedback? Let me know. I am super happy to ask my listeners and whatever IndyCar fans, um, tell me what IndyCar should do in this front, and I'll happily throw that into a document for just cut and paste those ideas and hand it off. So I'm going to ask. Hopefully they want that, and if so, don't be surprised if I do inquire. All right, final question of the episode. And I don't know why, but I've been singing a lot of things today. My wife looked at me at one point like, actually, she didn't look at me and say and think, what is wrong with you? I believe what went through her mind was, what is more wrong with you today than usual? J.J. Gertler, our pal. This is Marshall. In more than 700 shows, it looks like you've talked to absolutely everybody. Apart from being able to go back in time and interviewing Ray Haroon or Maury Rose, who would you most like to have in your show that hasn't been there yet? And he says, besides Ryan Terpstra, I mean, that's a great, uh, JJ, I love you, man. Um, yeah, so this is a mild confession part. Confession, not like I've done something wrong. Admission. This is me peeling back the little layers of the MP onion. So I alluded to this a little bit earlier, talking about podcasts and stuff. So my friends at Dinner with Racers, I think last week, put out 17 new episodes. And I always cringe when I see their new podcast long-form interview dump because there's always one or two people on there that are on my list of, and some of them have been on the list for years and for reasons I haven't had a chance to connect with them. And it's the same thing. It's jealousy. 
It's complete, wide-open jealousy because I wish I had the time. I wish I had the time, JJ, to hop on that plane or drive here or there and do the same thing because it's admittedly one of the things I want to do more than almost any other. I don't mean in podcasting. I mean in my life. I love doing this. Talking with people, as I mentioned in a question earlier, being at the track, just that's the thing I love. The people that I talk with, the people that I know, but also the people that I don't. The people who, again, it might be a, a someone that I've met, might be a, oh, hey, I, I know that guy, that gal, um, but not someone that I truly know. And so not excuses this is not any currying sympathy thing but you know i have spent i think it ended up being 35 minutes away from home about two to three months ago that's the sum total of time i have not been with my wife since september 27th and to clarify, the statement I just made wasn't me saying, I just want to be away from my wife and I haven't had much time to be away. That's not it at all. Uh, I'd spend every day of my life with her, period, if I could. That, like, genuinely, she's that amazing. But I just mentioned this because with what we've got going on at home and the things that take priority, I haven't been able to do more than the weekly shows and grab some audio stuff, you know, in-car audio or ambient. I've mailed my audio recorders to teams. I've been kind enough to throw them in cars and send them back. Got a bunch of old stuff that I'm trying to, you know, edit and prepare. Um, obviously do what I can over the phone with folks, but the real sit-down, long-form interviews that I love the most... I have not been able to do those for a long time, about half a year now. And so just sharing, again, just sharing. And if you're bored by now, you can click stop, please, if you haven't already. Um, the plan for around April, this is before everything went haywire uh, with my wife and the fight with cancer in May. Uh, the plan was my off season was going to be just silly, but silly great. So at least once a week, I was going to get on a plane because I got a lot of Southwest Air Miles and going to fly down to L.A. and interview, do a long interview with my friend Nick Hunziker, the artist. He's amazing. He and I have been trying to do this for I don't know how long. We're going to do it, damn it. I don't care. I got my little travel, my little Pelican case with my recording equipment. Every Like, hop on the plane. It's a day trip. Get on a, you know, 8, 9 a.m. flight. Get there, get in the rental car. I've got some plenty of free days there too, and go spend a couple hours with Nick. Jet back, get home, poof, off we go. Super awesome. Maybe get on the plane again later in the week or on the weekend. Go back down. I got this person and that person. I have folks in Arizona to go interview, uh, Colorado, uh, New Mexico. Uncle Bobby keeps yelling at me to get over there. And trust me, man, I want to get there. I can only imagine the stuff we're going to talk about. But, JJ, it just hasn't been an option. And so, 
that's the thing where I'm like, oh, man, at heart, I'm a service dog. At heart, I'm a content generator. And the kind of content I've been wanting to generate the most, I haven't been able to. So that's my little admission. Uh, I'm thankful that my friends Ryan and Sean are able to go out and get great stuff because I listen to it. Uh, the Dick Simon episodes that they just posted. Again, I hate, you know, I guess great minds or damaged minds. Uh, Dick's on my list here too. Um, I've got a lot that I need to interview. And some of these have actually arranged, like we've already said, okay, I can't tell you when, but we are going to sit down for two or three hours and just go batshit and record like crazy and have a lot of fun and do, you know, learn a heck of a lot about you, tell some stories, gather some stories, but we're going to, folks are going to know you better than ever before. Uh, So want to throw in here on, you asked for some and I'll throw in some now, granted I have interviewed some of these. Well, actually it's funny. I think I've interviewed just about all of these people. Uh, as a reporter, not necessarily all of them on the good old podcast. So for the ones on my priority list, I've actually written it out. I'm staring at it now. But then there's a lot of post-it notes and even more stacked on. Once I'm able, uh, I have some names that have not been uh, part of this. So Danny Sullivan's number one doesn't live far, you know, hour and a half or whatever. But he and I, again, we agreed in May. Oh, yeah, we're going to sit at little. Did we know we had an Arkansas connection among things just from chat. I love him. I don't know if he loves me, but he and I just get that's just the best. Um, Now, Rick Mears and I have done a lot on the podcast, a lot. Hours wise, there's quite a few hours of Rick and I, but I haven't had a chance to do a real my racing life and career with Rick. So he is, doesn't fit what you've mentioned, but he's on my list. Like we got to do it. Uh, the snake, Don Prudhomme, he's right up there. I mean, right up there. Who else? Uh, Scott Goodyear, right? I mean, uh, Scott and I have done, I don't know. I can't tell you how much stuff, but he and I have said, Hey, we, I got to sit down. The thing I want to interview Scott about the most behind beyond some other things when he was a driver in audi's imsa gto program right and he and i've talked about this ad nauseum but capturing it in a podcast we have not dd rogers is one who i had to look up she's she's in texas now but maybe she's always been there i don't know but uh, dd from the old Lynx racing program really you know not saying the first but among a handful of pioneers of women who have owned and run open wheel racing teams, right? She is every degree of awesome contained in one human life. And I haven't asked her, but I'm going to, and I'm probably not going to take no for an answer. Although she does live in Texas, which means she has guns and could probably shoot me. Um, Poncho Carter, come on, right? Poncho freaking Carter. Uh, who else? Bill Lester, right? Guys had a fascinating career again. I've interviewed Bill a number of times, but I want to sit down and talk with him about his career because there's some pretty cool things that he did. There's also some like, uh, I don't know how good you were. Let's talk. Uh, who else? Jack Miller, Dr. Jack. Uh, I know Jack a little bit. I want to sit down and capture a my racing life and career with him. 
one of my oldest friends, Michael Cannon. He is on my list. Jimmy Vassar, another super old friend. He's on that list. Uh, I've done a lot of things with Stefan Johansson, but I want to do more. Who else? Man. I've got a couple I don't want to mention because they're kind of, you know, they're my guys that uh, we'll, we'll talk about later, hopefully. But there's a number of folks in the media as well that fascinate me. Wolfgang Monser, Mr. Uh, two Questions. Absolutely. He and I said we're going to do it. We just haven't. Jesse Alexander, one of the greatest motor racing photographers of all time. I've tried to set that up in the past, have heard that his hearing is almost completely gone. So actual back and forth speaking that would be needed for a podcast could be a uh, could be a challenge. So there's just a lot. There's also some that have been on other podcasts as well before I got to them. Uh, Craig Breedlove. Right, he was one on the the new Dinner with Racers uh, stuff. Where I'm like, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> Craig's been on my list for a couple of years. I used to work for Craig, not for long, but worked for Craig, and you know, have been on the Black Rock Desert with him as a part of his last Land Speed Record team as an assistant engineer. Um, he's been on my list and. Just couldn't wait to go and, and ah, they got to him. So I don't know. Should I listen to that to see the questions they asked and if they're different from mine and then figure out, should I still go do it or should I just go do it anyways and be blind? Because again, you don't want to, I don't want to waste anyone's time. I also don't want to waste a day of my life going and getting something where I post it and everyone's like, dude, <laughs> what is this just a backup tape uh, for dinner with racers? Because we already heard this. We heard everything. Why the hell did you... Right? So, anyways, I just want to, JJ, be able to go once, obviously, we've got the all clear at home, to be able to go and do some of these things because I enjoy them. Getting to know people, getting to know them in new and interesting ways, get to know more about them. Uh I'm really feeling that want and need more than ever in what I do. And then the racing tales side, I grew up in that culture with my dad. All he did was tell stories. I mean, it was just, well, granted a lot of life wisdom and telling me how I should live it. But you know, he, I grew up just marveling at my dad every day and at night, listening to him tell stories. So that's what I grew up with. That's the thing I want to capture want to dive in to understand these people a little bit more um and if not a lot more and then hopefully bring that to y'all so yeah jealous i really wish i could be out there doing that i know that i will uh my lady knows that that's something that i desire to do as well but uh, look man as you know and as i appreciate you all grasping every week priorities priorities come first at home and uh, once we can reconfigure those priorities, I can go fart around and go to racetracks again. Well, dagnabbit, we're going to get more of those long-form my racing lives and careers. All right, that's it. That's all I got. Thanks for all your questions. Really, thank you. Thank you. It's Cooper Tires as well and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your weekend IndyCar listener Q&A. That's our newish music bed you hear that I like. 
that turns up at the end because I just feel if you get this far, you deserve to rock out a little bit. We'll speak to you next week.